Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. We're live. All right. I am here with my friend and colleague, Eddie Enever. Eddie, how are you? I'm good. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I'm excited about this one. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, it's amazing. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be great. And and this season, we're we're talking about healing journeys and, and transformations, and you've got a great one. And I only know bits and pieces, so I'm excited to get the whole story. Uh, Eddie and I actually are in the Compassionate Inquiry training of Dr. Gabor Mate together, and that's how we met. And I learned about his story, and I was putting together this podcast, and I was like, look, man, we got to do this. This story needs to get out. So I will give you a little background on Eddie, and then we're just going to jump right in and talk about his remarkable journey, and then maybe just a little bit about healing journeys as a whole and and how you view them and what you've seen in, in patients now. So Eddie's a highly experienced naturopath, cancer and chronic disease coach, practitioner mentor, as well as meditation, mindfulness, and breathwork teacher and founder of CSRT, which is Cold Stress Resilience Training. I'd love to learn more about that, so bookmark that. To say Eddie has developed strength and resilience in his life is an understatement. He's a three-time cancer survivor. He's also had his battles with anxiety and depression, which I can also relate to. He's been through a marriage breakup as well as financial demise, but he got through it all, bounced back, and recreated a successful business, loving relationship with his kids, partner, and himself and has a successful career full of meaning and purpose. Uh, Eddie says his mission is to raise public awareness of the role of chronic persistent stress on all levels of health. He's experienced firsthand how stress can seriously impact your health and happiness. He's passionate about providing support, skills, and resources to help others to better manage stress, improve their health, and increase their quality of life. That's a very good purpose to have, my friend. (laughs) And um, so... I guess let's just jump right in. Before we get to your three-time cancer surviving, I'd like to ask a little bit about, you know, you're a naturopath, you're a chronic disease, cancer coach, and all these mindfulness, meditation, breath work. How much of that were you doing before the cancer? And how did you get into that line of work to begin with? Where, where did your interest get sparked? Yeah, so that's a long story. Uh, so essentially, you know, before I was a, a naturopath, uh, I was a printer. So I was printing labels, so wine labels, and um, actually pharmaceutical labels a lot of too, actually. It's ironic. Um, sort of funny, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was just doing doing my thing. Uh, you know, I wasn't spiritually minded or anything like that. It wasn't I wouldn't even tell you what nat- natural therapies were. Um, and then one day we had a, a big, devastating uh, incident happened and my five-year-old nephew unfortunately got uh, hit by a car outside of my sister's home um, and me being the youngest in the family I was the first out on scene and so essentially I witnessed him him pass um, you know it was a five-year-old boy on a bike getting hit by a, a four-wheel drive towing a horse trailer um, so he didn't stand a chance but that really changed the direction of my life you know really weird things started to happen after that on the spiritual level it really seemed like open me up and made me incredibly sensitive and so my interest started to change and I started hanging out with different 
you know, people, different places, going to different things and, you know, immersing myself in more of a, a little bit more of a spiritual world. Um, like looking at Reiki and energy medicines and, and all these things. And I went to this event that happens every year in Perth called the Conscious Living Expo, which is just like a, a big exhibition full of new age hippie stuff and yeah, heaps of interesting people. And uh, there was a stall for uh, what was called at the time Australian College of Natural Medicine. And they were obviously plugging their courses and their, their degrees and uh, diplomas um, at that stage. And so I went and had a chat and got the old, you know, freebie bag. I was basically going around collecting as many freebies as I could through that, that whole day. And I, didn't, I reckon I didn't even look into that bag for another month or so. And I read about this thing called naturopathy and I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. And I was sort of at the stage of my life where I was looking for a change in direction. So I went and uh, met with the college and met with the, the organiser, the um, coordinator whatever you want to call her course coordinator um and i just said yes i'm out let's do this uh, never look back so you know from this really devastating impact of my, my little nephew ben passing it really changed the direct uh, trajectory of my life in a really positive way um that led me down this track um ultimately to become a naturopath and then everything that ensued after that which include cancer and you know all the stuff that's in that bio um to hear and to have conversations like this with you. So, um, yeah, really pivotal period of my life. And that's how I got into the natural health world. I, uh, thank you for sharing all that. I've, uh, I've not been in a similar situation myself and can only imagine how powerful of an experience and how powerful just in sheer impact on the individuals who were there. Totally. And, uh, it sort of changed so many people's lives for the better. You know, you can be like a five, losing a five-year-old just for a parent. It's devastating, you know, um, but mm-hmm. you can't even connect to what that would be. Is feel your like. sister's child? Sister. Um, I just saw so many people's lives change for the better, you know, and I, I've always sort of viewed, I always knew that, you know, he just had a little five-year contract, you know, that's mm-hmm. how I sort of related to it. It's just like he went out with a bang and he, he went out changing people's lives and it's, it certainly seemed to do that for a lot of people. And it's just like, okay, we're doing this, are we? Let's do it. <laughs> That's you know? beautiful. It's a beautiful way to look at it. And I hope that, you know, she's well. And that, yeah. Um, and it's incredible sometimes. And, and that's been a theme in the conversations I've had thus far, that it's usually been something tragic, horrific, or extremely challenging that's caused the reversal in fortune or the shift or the change in direction. Yeah. And oftentimes that seems to be you know, trial by fire, it's the, it's the catalyst, it's the, it's the spark, it's the trigger, it's the ammunition for something that maybe has been lying dormant a little bit. So you, so you got in the naturopathy program, uh, and you mentioned Perth, I should have prefaced that at the beginning. Uh, Eddie lives in Perth, Western Australia, if you notice, we sound a little different. Um, and I, uh, I'm familiar with traditional naturopathy versus naturopathic medicine and, and, and physicians and how that goes in the U.S., it's, it's a lot more um, traditional, I guess I would call it probably. And what was that experience like? Did You had no background in that whatsoever, really. So you just jumped right into the program and started it off and you just dug it from day one and got right into it or what? Yeah, yeah, just went for it, um, started off. Yeah, part-time study uh, as I was still working and then transitioned out to full-time study. Um, and then, you know, I went straight into practice, you know, from, from being a, you know, qualified straight out there, straight to practice, really, yeah, as everyone is at the start of their career, not really knowing, having all this theoretical knowledge, but no 
practical knowledge in, in how to work with real humans and sort of fumbled my way through the best that I could and learned. Um, and then I had a, an amazing opportunity where somebody actually gave me a business, believe it or not. They gave me a 10-year-old business, an established health centre with 15 practitioners, yoga hall, cafe and a shop um, given to me for free, literally. Wow. Just, you to take this over and I was just like whoa you know and this is me being a green naturopath a green practitioner not really knowing what I was doing it was scary as hell but it was just like wow what an opportunity like that doesn't come up often yeah. um, you know, that I sounds like it. a lot of stress though ended up being you know, <laughs> um, you know I, I, I have the same part the tears things like that and they're like it's like yes do that that sounds great and then I have this other part that's learned over time Hey, yeah. that that's gonna be a lot of work. That's gonna yeah. be a lot of stress, buddy. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when you're at the start of your career, you're enthusiastic, you're inspired, you've got boundless yeah. energy to do this and you wanna succeed mm. and you wanna progress. And I saw it as this this beautiful opportunity to set the family up and you know, all that sort of stuff. But um the missing link was I knew nothing about business. <laughs> um, so funny, I just went funny how that ends up mattering. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when things weren't working from the business level, I did what I knew what to do, which was to work harder. Yeah. And when that didn't work, I worked harder because I was good at working hard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is what then created a huge amount of stress for me, which ultimately led, you know, around about six years later to my diagnosis of cancer. So, so what's um, the timeline on this? When, what year was it when your nephew passed? Probably he would. I think he would have turned eighteen this year. Okay, so about ten yeah. to fifteen years, and then you went through the training. You started. You got out. You got the the facility gifted yeah. to you by some sort of angel, yes. and then uh, started running yourself into the ground with that. And how? And how many years ago was your diagnosis? Your first diagnosis? Uh, I was I was diagnosed ten days before Christmas in two thousand thirteen. Okay, so yeah. about seven and a half years ago and what how did you know something was wrong yeah so i was diagnosed with testicular cancer so okay. it's quite obvious when you have a testy that's not feeling quite right and that was essentially <laughs> what alerted me to it to something not being right looking back on it there were some little signs and signals that i was probably a little bit um numb to or ignoring a little bit or just wasn't really taken seriously like some sort of achy type groin pains um that i just put down to groin strains and stuff from sport or exercise but um essentially it was just referred pain coming from the the testy and so i've got you know a friend who's a, a very good integrative type gp and so i just got on the, the phone and we organized a, an ultrasound basically straight away and that's when it all basically came to light and then uh, the journey took off on me what was the initial diagnosis just the testicular cancer had it spread what was the situation like yeah, so the, the original diagnosis was a right-sided uh, seminoma so there's different sorts of testicular cancer mine was a, um, a seminoma which is quite a, a common one there was some evidence of uh, lymphovascular infiltration so some of the cells had got into blood and lymph by the histology report um so, you know, a PET scan didn't show anything in the body, but it did show that there was potential for that that spread at that point. So four days, well, four days before Christmas, I was in surgery getting Mr. Righty chopped off. Um, and then they wanted to give me a dose of chemotherapy in um, early You said Mr. Righty? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so I want to backtrack just a little. We'll get back to Mr. Righty. But the 
So that initial, uh, I don't know if it was a phone call or an appointment or what it was where you found out what was going on. I'm yep. sure you had suspicions or concerns, but the actual confirmation, like this is cancer. Yep. Uh, how old were you? Uh, I was 33. 33. Yeah. What was that like? That was pretty devastating. You know, that wasn't a good day. Uh, you know, life comes crumbling down. At that stage, I had a two-and-a-half-year-old son and my wife was pregnant. Uh, and I remember she was waiting out in the park across the road from the radio, uh, radiology clinic um, for me to go in and, you know, I had to go over there and basically tell her, listen, I've got cancer. Um life changed in the instant literally in one little consultation with the sonographer everything changed um you were given a pretty positive prognosis like if we do surgery and you get some treatment this is largely treatable yeah yeah testicular cancer is the most treatable cancer you can get if if you can get it um so, you know, success rates very, very high with, you know, first-line treatment. So they, they painted, you know, a very positive view of it, like almost like it's not that big a deal, you know, we got this. But you're met with your mortality, you know, and for me it was the first time I was met with, you know, my own mortality, and that's pretty hard to swallow, you know, especially when you're at the prime of your life um, and you've got like a young family and everything. It's to, to be dished out that sort of news is pretty hard to swallow. It's not on the script. Uh, Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, that's K-I-T, and grab the RHT Starter Kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT Healthy Sleep Guide, the Wellness Vault Coupon Book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health-related tools and resources, a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And so, you know, I'm pretty... Know, do whatever it takes sort of guy like I can knuckle down <laughs> it's probably how I got on well is it yeah. I just down and get on with it um so I knew that I just had to do whatever it took but um it was still a lot and this is a big part of my story is, is you know that sort of bit me in the bum a little bit because of that that way just to block it out do whatever it takes but internalize that stress that was a big part of my sort of journey is this internalization repression of, of emotion and that stress of it really for the next two years and what ensued, which was three relapses in two years, you know, a big part of that was because of the way that I was interfacing with my stress levels within my, my life and then the cancer diagnosis and marriage and everything. So, was that more testicular cancer or yeah, was it? Cancer. It basically didn't get cleared. Um, so I did go and have chemotherapy um, eventually okay. in, uh, uh, in February and that was one of the hardest decisions to make. But looking back on it now, it's just like one dose of carboplatin, which is like walk in the park. But, you know, at the time, it was just a huge thing, chemo. And I was, you know, I was a naturopath, so it had that natural bias. But then there was like the scientist in me and the, the realist in me going, oh, look at the stats, you know, you're crazy if you don't do you know, chemotherapy for something that's got such a high success rate. So I eventually did it. And then six months later, I had the relapse where it popped up in my para-aortic lymph nodes, so the ones in the abdomen, the chain of lymph nodes that run up next to the aorta, um, basically 
came up on a PET scan and that's basically, it had spread and it travelled up the lymphatic tract and that's the first stop on the train line, if, if so to speak. Um, and so That's that, a little more scary then. That is, that's now metastatic cancer, which is harder to treat. With testicular cancer, it's still testicular cancer, so it's still highly sensitive to treatment. So success rates are still really, really high, um, but the treatment's very aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. So from the medical point of view, it was a week of chemotherapy, three chemotherapies on one day on a Monday, and then two chemotherapies for the rest of that week every day. So they hit you really, really hard. And then two weeks of nothing, and then that's one cycle and you go through and you do you know, multiple cycles of that. And so it took me a long time to come to terms with actually going ahead with that. It was a, it was a very different scenario than just one dose of chemo. This was like brutal. Yeah, for course. Uh, so it took me a long time to get to the point where I was ready to embrace it, um, which took me into meditation, the world of meditation, um, and really trying to come to peace with that decision because I wasn't comfortable. I didn't want to go in there and do the treatment and be resenting those bags of chemo that have been hung up, you know, that they pop your candle in. I wanted to be able to like fully embrace it to get the most from it. And it took this me a is long for time. the lymphatic cancer, right? The full course of chemo? For, for the, the metastatic cancer, yeah. Yeah, metastatic, yeah. And so yeah. then that's, I was going to ask when when meditation and breath and mindfulness came into play. Yeah. And it was kind of to help exactly. you make peace with the choice you'd made, with the situation you were in, with... Yeah, so I went to a, I chose to go before I made that decision. I was on an R and about it, and they wanted to get me in straight away. You know, just like, what are you, what are you doing? Just, just start doing it. You're crazy if you don't. But I was just like, no, I need to be in the right place to do it. And I wasn't in the right place to do it. So I went to a, um, uh, a living retreat at a place called the Gawler Foundation, which is a non profit cancer foundation on the east coast of Australia, run by a guy called Ian Gawler. Um, beautiful organisation that's unfortunately closing because of COVID, which is devastating. But they run or used to run living retreats. It was a 10-day retreat called Life and Living uh, for Cancer Patients. And it was there that I really got immersed into meditation. It was a big part of their program was meditation and getting in touch with your emotional states and all those sorts of things. And it wasn't until day eight that in a meditation I came to a, a point where I could really choose to do it and it wasn't a, a cognitive decision it was a, a deeper decision within me my heart or whatever it is that was just right right I'm ready to do this ready to go for it uh, and that was a really really important thing for me so I could go back and I can totally commit to what I was doing was that a chemo experience everything you expected it to be Woo! yeah it was uh it was rough um it Did you lose was, all your hair feel like garbage get sick yeah, listen, yeah. the nausea, not really. You know, you no. don't feel that flash, but um, they manage nausea pretty well with their um, dexa, um, uh, dexamethasone and their anti-nausea meds are pretty good at that. They've dialed that in. But now it's brutal chemistry. It really knocks you around. Um, you don't feel good. My digestive system basically shut down for a week. So that second week, the, the week of chemo was all right. You feel grotty, but you, you get through it. You're dosed up on, you know, steroids, so you you can function, but the second week when the steroids wear off and all the, the side effects shine through, that was rough. That was very, very rough. And then the last week was a little bit of normalcy before you go and rinse and repeat, do it again. Um, so, you know, it was, it, it was interesting how much it impacts you physically, but men, mentally and emotionally, it was really interesting how much it impacts you and how much it can send you down. Very much a roller coaster through the, you know, the whole, um, different cycles 
And so you, that was the, the first relapse, the second diagnosis, and you did the full round of chemo yep. and then you were cleared. Yep. Yep. And then how long was it before the third? Three months. So it came back after three months, again, in the periodic lymph nodes, but then it spread further up and I had some in my chest and some lymph nodes in the chest. Um, and that was pretty devastating, especially after all that work that you do, like you really work for it and that chemotherapy makes you know, a lot of suffering in there. And, you know, to keep it together and just go and get through it, you know, it's almost like really, again, all that. And I still don't How did you well. catch those, those two, uh, the, when it had spread up? How did you notice? Did you have symptoms or were those just routine blood work or scans? I I was always the one that went to my oncologist and said, listen, something's not right. No, I just knew. And it's really bizarre. It's really weird. Like I just knew inside of myself, my mental state changed. And it was almost like I could sense it was there. It's really bizarre. Um, But my skin also told me when my skin wasn't happy, like breakouts with, you know, acne on my, my shoulders and back and stuff like that, that was a bit of a sign. But with testicular cancer and seminomas, they produce a lot of beta-HCG. Um, and this is one of the, the compounds that go up in pregnancy and um, it gives you sensitive nipples, okay? So <laughs> my nipples told me, it's sort of the running joke, is my That's nipples funny. are always the barometer of how I was going. So you do your daily nipple check, you know, to see oh, how things are going. Um, but, you know, when beta-HCG rocks, you know, increases, you, you do get sensitive nipples. And so it was a combination of my mental state and nipples. Sounds ridiculous. A little nipple spidey um, sense. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and my skin, which really you know, alerted me that, hey, things weren't right. I'm very sensitive to my body, like my environment. So I would go to him and say, listen, something's not right. We'd do a PET scan and sure enough, there was something you know, lurking. Were you, were you still yeah. running the um, the clinic through all yeah, of Yeah, I was. I was trying. I was trying um, semi-successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my stress levels were still pretty high through that whole period. Um, obviously, the toll that it was taking on a young family and, um you know, it was very, very stressful. And for me, feeling like I was sort of failing at it all, you know, it was very strong. So my internal environment wasn't good. Um, so my stress levels, um, albeit the, the best that I could try to try to deal with it the best that I could through some of the skills that I'd learned with meditations and things, but it was still a lot going on. It was very, very heavy times. Were there points in there? And then you did the same type of treatment again for the second relapse, the full, full course yeah, no, of chemo? The second and- one, yeah, they wanted to go in and get even heavier second line treatment. And I was really struggling with that just because that first one was so brutal. Um, so I basically, I needed to do something for myself. And so I chose to actually do some alternative treatments uh, or complementary treatments. Um, so I looked, I was... I came through a colleague of mine, uh, an applied colleague, um, around hypothermia, so heat treatment. And so I looked into that and I found a clinic in the Philippines that didn't charge an arm and a leg. Uh, and I went and spent eight weeks at this clinic, hypothermia clinic, which is heating the body up, either locally direct to tumours or systemically heating your body up to very high temperatures um, in the hopes, one, either to kill cancer or to sensitise cancer. So I spent eight weeks baking myself like that um, in the hope that my cancer would have disappeared or I would have killed it. But um, by the end of that eight-week trip, all my tumours had tripled in size. And so I was at my sickest then. So I had an eight-centimetre by nine by three-centimetre tumour in my abdomen that was pushing oh, my wow. up against one side of my abdominal wall. I had a couple of tumours in my chest, a couple under my collarbone, 
one of my neck, one of my lung at that stage. I was really unwell. Um, and that was pretty devastating. Again, all that work, no result for it. So I came back and at that point I did my next round of chemotherapy and that's when the cancer melted away, literally started disappearing so quickly that my oncologist was absolutely flabbergasted. He couldn't understand why and he basically just put it down as it's just a hypothermia. And certainly the research shows, you know, that there's a... That the hypothermia treatment would make the cancer more sensitive to the chemotherapy. Yeah, the research shows that with radiotherapy and chemotherapy, there's about 30% benefit to your outcomes with introducing complementary hypothermia. So it's quite a powerful intervention. Um, and certainly my regression so quickly of it melting away certainly reflected that. Um, it was very, very quick that it went away. Um, so that was a really, really important part of me getting well was this hypothermia. You know, and also it was eight weeks away that I could spend with myself. And so there was a lot of internal work that went on, a lot of meditation and reflection. Did you go by yourself? And everything. So that was a really important trip. Were you by yourself in the Philippines? I was, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So eight weeks in the Philippines. Had you been there before? No, okay. this was deep in the Philippines, deep, deep in the, so the provinces. Eight so, weeks yeah. in a really strange place going under, going through alternative yeah. treatment for a third appearance of fairly aggressive cancer. Yeah, it was becoming, you know, treatment resistant. Yeah, the more yeah. that you have unsuccessful treatment, what's left behind is this, these more robust cancer cells, mm -hmm. these so-called cancer stem cells, stem-like cells, which are really tricky to treat. And I had quite a resistance. Like I did a genetic profiling of my cancer. I had a lot of resistance factors were upregulated. So it was a robust, stubborn cancer. Um, so I really had to go all out and go above and beyond to, to get rid of it, which included obviously the hypothermia. It really was a, a crucial factor in me getting well. It was that in combination with... Um, Curious what else happened in those eight weeks. Yeah, it was also my relationship to what was going on for me. So my relationship to stress, my relationship to business and, and you know, my life really um, and all the internal state had to, had to change massively. You know, the way I interfaced with stress was a big part of it. My my default stress coping mechanism, which was to repress and to swallow down and stick the happy, happy, joy, joy face on. But inside, I didn't necessarily say that. There wasn't congruence between head and heart, if you will. Um, so I really had to work on all those aspects. And so there's no one magic pill that did it. It was just the synergy of this approach that worked for me. Yeah, and I'd imagine, um, I can't, I've never been through something like that, but I could imagine being in that scenario, you can almost look at your life almost kind of as an outside, like it's back there. Yeah. You're not in it. It's back there. And you had a lot of free time probably to think about things and reevaluate and really look at what's important. And the theme that uh, a lot of guests have, have chatted about is how facing something like that really changes what you feel is important in your life and what you're so really concerned about and what you're not. And whether it's cancer or, or a diagnosis of an autoimmune condition or, or you know, bouts with you know, depression or death in the family, whatever it might be, you know, for me, the greens look green and the blues look blue and the reds look redder, you know, and what was important to me before just wasn't important 
you know, the finances, the ego-driven aspect of my business, wanting, yeah, the attention of what I'm creating type thing wasn't important. None of that stuff was important anymore. You know, what was important was, you know, me being around for my kids. Um, and, you know, we get so wrapped up on that stuff. So it changed my whole relationship to my life. Um, and I think disease or suffering, you know, has a beautiful way of doing that if you're, if you're willing to, you know, to take that approach towards it. You know, it's not until we we get unwell that sometimes we realise that we need to become well, that we need to make changes yeah. in our life. Um, and there's nothing like a diagnosis of cancer to really rocket ship you to that point um, if you're willing to look there. And so yeah. for me, it was a huge catalyst, you know, to um, what I do now. Um, and honestly, looking at it, although it was harsh and, you know, within there, there was a marriage breakdown as well during that period, um, which was really, really hard. You know, I'm a better person for that whole stage of my life. You know, it's given me a different direction in life. It gives me meaning and purpose to be able to help people that are who are just me, but at the start of their journey. Um, you know, I do. yeah. So now you're working. Well, let's. I'll get to that in a second. But so that that last treatment was successful after the hyperthermia. Yeah. You did the the second round chemo, the second level, or whatever you would call it. I'm not. I'm not good with cancer treatment therapy. terms, but yeah. the second line therapy and it worked. Everything melted away, and that was four or five years ago yeah so i've been clear um basically six years okay six years, amazing yeah. and then after that experience so cancer wasn't your jam before that you you got into not really not. working like after that experience probably you had learned so much in your own yeah. research and what you've been through and everything that this became an interest of you to to work with cancer patients yeah and you know people with the diagnosis they want to talk to someone who understands it. So more than just the, you know, the physiological treatment of the cancer, treating what's wrong with the person, you know, the, you know, the understanding of the, the biochemistry and stuff, you know, people want more than that, especially with a diagnosis, that they're being met with their mortality and they're asking big questions of themselves. Why me? You know, these more philosophical type questions. And I think they just really value speaking to someone who gets it, who understands, who understands it, who has actually trodden that path. And so, I think people just started wanting to work with me naturally just because I got it. I understood it, you know, the actual emotional nature of the disease, not just the physical nature. You know, there's so much you can do, like diet, supplements and, you know, therapies, but to actually deal with, like, why someone's unwell, not just what's wrong with them, but why it's, um, why it's wrong with them, you know, that's a line of question and that's why I love this gavel work is we get to go really deep, you know, with or I get to go really deep with these people to really help them make sense of, all the events that have led up to this, you know, the their biographies and how their biographies have become their biology in a weird way um, and help them find meaning and purpose in their diagnosis and make some really meaningful change in their life that helps with the outcome while we treat the physical nature of the disease. You know, it gives me a lot of um, meaning and purpose myself. So um, I find you know, we can have some very deep, meaningful conversations that make some some amazing impact on their life and their, their actual prognosis it's beautiful and it's you know I, I can relate to the hardest periods um my wife has multiple autoimmune conditions we've been through three pretty horrific flares in the last three and a half years that have shaken everything we thought our life was and turned things upside down and changed courses four times and said, nope, that's not the way things are going to be. Here's your new life. And here's this. And there's 
there was this resentment or this anger, this, this, come on, like, no, I worked too hard to get to here for it to be like this, for this to happen, especially like you were, you'd already been through the naturopathy school. I'd already been working in health and wellness. It was like a personal gut punch to me that then my wife was sick and I, I couldn't fix it. Like I couldn't change it. And it was despite we live this and we do this healthy thing and we do this thing and this thing. And why is this happening? And come on, this is bullshit. And what, what is, and if somebody would have told me then that this is going to shift both of your lives in a way that's going to result in, and then show me what was going to come out of there and be like, it's all for this and this and this, and you're going to learn this and this and this, I didn't want it to choke me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't want to hear it when I was in it. Like people yeah. would say that I had well-meaning friends who were like, you know, this is really challenging and it's going to change your life in ways that you, and they were, cause they'd been through it. Yeah. And, um, I didn't want to hear it. And then until I did, until I saw it, until I understood it. And until I saw it happen once and things shifted and things changed direction. And then she got sick again. And I went right back into hating everything. <laughs> and then we got through that one and things shifted even more. And then there was this really interesting path that I'd gotten onto. And then she got sick again. And there was this just, come on, why, why, why? And that third time I was like, all right, I've seen this twice already. I've seen the shift that happens. I'm going to lean into this. Like, and then I used it to practice meditation, to practice mindfulness practices, to practice the things. Cause it's easy to practice those things when you're not in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's easy to meditate every day when your life is peaches. <laughs> it's easy to do all these self-care things when you feel great. And when your partner feels great and there's no chaos and crisis. But when the storm rolls in, it's a bit trickier, isn't it? It is. It is. And to practice it when there's no storm makes it possible to use it when there is. And I really learned that um, through these through these flares. And so the meditation and the breath work and the and the cold therapy, all those things were basically things that you learned for you. That were helpful for you that you now teach to your patients and the people you consult with. Because, you know, when people come to you as, as a practitioner, health practitioner, you know, they come in, especially they come in because they want to be you. They want that outcome that you had. And so you know, the way that I help people is to show them what I did and my skills that I learned in the process. And, you know, so I use myself as the example quite a lot with my patients. You know, don't do this because this is what I did. It didn't work. You know, let's have a look at this and this did work. And so you develop your skill set, which is your medicine to give to the world you know, uh, along with your you and your biography and your story um, and the skill sets that you, you hold. And so that's a beautiful thing to be able to share that. It is. And there's no better way to learn to, there's no better way to teach something than to have learned it by doing. And yeah. I, I know a lot of things I've learned from books and I know a lot of things I've learned from experience and I can teach the ones that I've been through experience yeah. much better than I can teach things I've memorized out of a book. Sure. And also, you know, you also teach what you need to learn. So, you know, I'm doing this mm -hmm. course, teaching people this stuff. I'm also talking to myself the whole time because yeah. you know, I'm human as well. And, you know, life gets stressful and it gets busy. And sometimes I lose sight of my balance in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I need these skills to then come back in and to, to bring myself back into homeostasis. You know, you catch yourself in cancer was maintaining balance in my life. Yeah. That, that balance, I that balance my body let me know about that. That's signs and symptoms, that's disease, that's suffering. So to then respond appropriately and make those changes to come back into homeostasis or balance is really, really important. And that's 
something that I'm constantly working on. I think that's just health. You know, that's what, that's what life and health is. It's attending when we're out of balance and coming back in and making those choices. I love the you teach what you need to learn. I, I think that's true too. And uh, the training that we're in together, uh, I haven't talked about this on any of the episodes, is Dr. Gabor Mate was kind of a, a groundbreaker when it came to equating emotional uh, emotional stress, repressed emotions, trauma to physical disease, including cancer and other physical diseases. And I don't know when his book came out on that, probably about 20 years ago now, and everybody thought he was nuts. And uh, the medical establishment thought he was nuts. The psych- psychi- psychiatric establishment thought he was nuts. And now both sides are inviting him to be keynote speakers at events and looking at him as some sort of prophet. But really the method, the, the, the practice that we're learning is, is a line of inquiry that helps individuals get to the root of the patterns and the beliefs and the stories and the ch- challenges that they see and that they find in their life. So I'm sure it's an, an immense addition to your toolbox to be able to converse with people in that way, but also to, um, to see them. Yeah. Like, it's huge. It's huge. And, and in me and my life as well, it's been absolutely amazing. Just, and I know it has been for you as well. Yeah. It's just to be able to see where these, these patterns have arisen from, you know, these experiences that we have typically earlier in early in life and childhood and the meaning that we ascribe to that, what we make that mean about ourselves, and how this then echoes through our lives in behavioural patterns and these things that just keep popping up over and over over again. And especially in the world of oncology and cancer, you know, there is, you know, a a personality typing that's been studied for a couple of decades called the cancer-prone personality type that um, is, is, I see it with my patients, I've treated, you know, hundreds of cancer patients and I reckon probably 80% fit the bill of this cancer prone personality type. And these are, are beautiful people, but you know, some of the big hallmarks of this typing is that they do internalize their stress. They don't want to burden others. So they swallow it down and they learned that from an early age, you know, because of the dynamics in maybe the, the home or it wasn't safe to express emotions. So they hid their emotions and they swallowed it down. And this became a lifelong chronic you know, pattern for them um, and that it's that internalized stress that can have a massive impact on our health uh, mm-hmm. and I know that stress doesn't get taken overly seriously in health because you know where's stress show me stress you know it's it's not a tangible thing as such um, it's subjective what stresses me doesn't stress you and so you know I think medicine's overarching view on stress it doesn't get taken overly seriously but you know it has this massive capacity to impact our health and our healing. And for me, with my healing with my cancer, it wasn't until I really found that meaning and purpose and why I was unwell, made some meaningful change in my life to get my stress levels down dramatically. That involved selling a business, that involved selling a home and making massive changes to decrease my total stress levels. And I I believe that unblocked my capacity to get well. It was almost like I was trying to get well in an environment that wasn't conducive to getting well. And yes, the hypothermia was amazing and the right chemotherapy drugs in the end were an amazing combination. But I really, really know in myself that if I hadn't have actually taken away this roadblock to healing, this chronically high stress levels and the way that it interfaced with stress, if I didn't change that, I don't think it would have been successful. So that was the marriage, the business like that high stress life you're talking about because the business the the clinic you you walked from that after the third round 
yeah, you know, it became very apparent that, you know, it wasn't what I was doing was the problem. Like I was doing what was prescribed to me. It wasn't making scientific sense, you know, medical sense, why it kept coming back. So it, it was at that point I realised that it wasn't what I was doing, it was the way that I was doing it was the problem. So my environment that I'd create for healing wasn't conducive to getting the outcome. I had to change my environment. So, and a big part of that was my perception of my environment. So the way that I interface with my stress and my my, my perception of my, my world, you know, had to change and you can only change that by going within and doing that inner work. And that was really crucial because it then took the steam out of that stress in my life, which, you know, the, the chemistry of stress, the cortisol, the adrenaline, the, the cytokines, all the stuff, you know, that, that was just blocking and making this job of healing so much harder for me. And when I finally understood that uh, and what my cancer was calling for which was a change in my epigenetic environment you know the life that i'd created for myself and the chemistry that that environment created wasn't conducive to help so you know it's like i was trying to get well with the same information feeding in epigenetically and it's just like yeah good luck with that so i had to change everything in a major way and you know if you speak to these people that have had these phenomenal turnarounds with cancer and there's thousands around the world that's what they do. They change the way that their whole life is. They essentially change who they are as a human being and they, they can get well. Um, and for me, my cancer was calling me to change my life and the way that I interact, interface with it. And that sent me on that this new trajectory, which yeah. is absolutely beautiful. You know, so, um, so what's your relationship now with the cancer that used to be in your body? Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I look at it and, you know, I'm very appreciative of that period of my life although it was two years of a lot of harshness um hard lessons but you know, i wouldn't change it for the world because you know what i'm doing now gives me so much meaning and purpose and i absolutely love the conversations that i can have with people and the way that i can support people on that really high level not just with the physical stuff and the diet but really hold someone through the the journey with cancer now, that really floats my boat. That makes me feel really, really good inside. And so I have cancer to, to thank for this new direction in life and this new, you know, the way that I perceive the world is so different now. It's led me down a totally different path of reconnection to me, you know, and to be able to design my life in a much more conducive way for happiness and health. And I have cancer to thank for that. Because like, if, I, if I didn't get unwell, I'd probably still be trying to do that old thing. Um, You'd be running yourself into the ground in that clinic, yeah, yeah, getting probably, some other probably, disease probably in the ground, actually. Um, yeah, some other disease or some other breakdown. Yeah, or, yeah, or but, something. You know, I think in this huge growth and suffering, you know, we like mm -hmm. to avoid these these pleasure monkeys that we are, these comfort addicted beings that we we are. We like to avoid pain, but there's a lot of medicine and pain if we're willing to look at that. If we're willing to look at it, understand it, and then make the changes. Um, and it can be hard, really, really hard. You know, people find themselves in very tricky circumstances where change is very hard, um, but they can change the way they interface with it, their perceptions of it. And that's the internal journey. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of these internal arts, you know, mm -hmm. the internal martial arts and meditation and breath work and all these beautiful yogas, because it does, it changes your relationship to your life. Where you can't change your life, you can change your relationship to it, which can be game-changing. Beautiful, man. I'd, I'd love to do some breath with you sometime. Uh, breath work for me has been a powerful, powerful yeah. experience and tool as well. It really uh, unhooks me from the, what you call it, pleasure monkey. Um, and uh, that needs to be coined term if, that, if you haven't already trademarked that pleasure monkey needs to 
used to be Eddie's words. Yeah, t-shirt. Pleasure <laughs> just says pleasure monkey on it. Um, but it's so true. We're so averse to pain and discomfort of any kind. Uh, and so much of our culture and society, and, and granted, your your culture and society is slightly different than the one here, but generally not in these regards, that like there's an entire economy out there based on things that they try to get me to buy so that I don't feel pain or discomfort of any kind. And they know, I mean, there's psychologists that work as marketers. Like that's a, that's a very solid career. If you want to go down that line and, and weaponize the internal work that we're learning to do, they know how to play to your, as Gabor would call it holes or loss of self or, or stories. And um, we have a whole entire culture, society, economy based off not feeling pain, off not feeling discomfort, of not being in the present moment. And these practices of meditation and mindfulness and breath, is what they do is they bring you to now. Yeah. They, 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 I think they, they help you to stop looking for the answers outside of yourself mm-hmm. uh, in marketing, in the product, in government, in religion, in yeah. whatever it is. And it sends you within. And I think all the great spiritual teachers have talked about this, you know, the, the find the divine within, the answers mm-hmm. within go within, you know, whether that's prayer or meditation or whatever, what the spiritual practice is, it's very much going within, not external. Um, which it's is a pretty dangerous. redundant message. Like, I've yeah. done a lot of studying now. I'm spiritual teachers across a full spectrum. I was raised in the church. I've studied Buddhism. I've studied a little Taoism. There's Hindu. Like it's it's pretty pretty redundant. The message is pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know that that's you can see where the resistance to that is. You know because mm-hmm. you know, how do you control people is to to trick them into yeah, yeah. that the power is outside of themselves. This is mm-hmm. a whole other conversation. That's probably yeah, not, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But uh, as far as healing goes, yes, there's the the avenue that you did. You did the chemo. You did the hyperthermia. I'm sure you did some other supplements and nutritional stuff and lifestyle things. Yes. And it was really the internal shift and in changing your life and the way you were living and the way that you perceived it. I heard you mention earlier when you were talking about stress, that stress is subjective, that it is perception of stress. Um I first learned that there's an excellent book for anyone out there who likes to read uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by uh, Professor Robert Sapolsky. I believe at Stanford here in Northern California. And um, that book at the time was probably the thickest and heaviest uh, physiology health related book I had read probably 10 years ago. And it blew me away like it because it shows how you said that medical science and most conventional medicine like they don't give stress the due that it needs like they don't look at it you know if they if you if you walk into a doctor's office smoking they're going to be like hey you shouldn't do that that's really bad for you to do but if you walked in and said like you know i had six meetings today and i got stuck in traffic and my wife was yelling at me and i'm unhappy in my job and whatever it'd be like oh welcome to life you know or like some comment not about the same way they'd react to smoking and he breaks down brilliantly like all the different physiology around the stress response and the havoc. And with cancer, cancer is like metabolic and it's immune system going haywire sideways and nothing damages and destroys the immune system's capability than more than stress. Right? Yeah. 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 People don't so, realize that stress is like, it's a full body major physiological event. You know, not one mm-hmm. cell in your 
body goes unaffected by the chemistry of stress, this fight or flight response. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that it's two way straight. You can put yourself into fight or flight, but you can actually take yourself out mm-hmm. with relaxation response, which is that beautiful feeling that you feel when you do your breath work and your yogas, um, your meditation, or you're lying in the hammock or in the book, and you get this, this wave of different chemistry flood through the body. Again, a full body major physiological event, but more beneficial this time that takes you out of that. And I think just modern humans with the lives that we live, we spend so much time in, in the stress response that sympathetic nervous system dominance, you know, uh, is basically forced upon us almost. And we, we, we live in these chronically stressed lives with very little respite from it, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the point where if we don't say no, the body will. Um, and yeah. that's when we have our breakdowns, that's where we get our disease, that's where we get our burnouts or whatever it might be. So, you know, a big part of me keeping myself well is responding quickly to my body feedback, my signs and symptoms, which is just feedback mechanisms my body uses to get But that awareness is a practice in and of itself. And that's where the mindfulness comes in and the meditation and that that really is it's a somatic awareness of the body. And how you said, like, I just knew something wasn't right. Like we get pulled so far out of touch with with that. And that's yeah. another reason why people go into a doctor once they they finally notice they don't feel well. And then you have advanced stage diseases and all kinds of things because feeling crappy is the baseline for so many people that for it to become noticeable, they have to, it has to be really, really bad. And so that the awareness of the body and the awareness and slowing things down and getting into that state, uh, you're able to feel things at a very subtle level when they shift in your body. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a game changer for me when I started to learn meditation and, and breath and, and some of these other practices. And I would get into that truly like relaxed and present and disconnected from uh, pleasure monkey stress mind. It was like, a whoa, yeah. this is what they were talking about. Okay. And I don't want to make it sound like it's easy to do this, especially when you're in crisis, but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called practice for a reason. You know, we've got got to mm -hmm. practice it. And sometimes we get those beautiful bliss moments, you know, like Mm -hmm. what you what you described, but sometimes we don't. It's just, you know, it's 20 minutes of battling with the monkey mind. Yeah. But the thing is, if we persist with it and we keep coming back to our techniques, whatever that might be. Like you said, it's practice, but it's practice but outside of your meditation session. It's when, you know, the bank manager calls or, you know, you have to fight with the missus or, you know, whatever happens, a work stress conflict situation. It's how does these skills and these practices permeate into your life and that's the benefit of this stuff. But it's, yeah. it's not easy. You know, sometimes it's frustrating frustrating practice I've, I've had some pretty not fun meditation sessions yeah. breath is almost always great i almost always enjoy breath work sessions I, I have trouble getting myself to do it like it's like a chore or a thing and then once i do it i'm like oh this is awesome why don't i do this every day yeah. but meditation i have had some miserable time spent on my meditation cushion and but you do you notice it in your life you don't react as quickly you don't react as unconsciously to situations you notice things and say ah, oh i'm gonna sit here for a second before I respond to that. And like each of those little things shifts the trajectory from that moment. The way that I describe it with the meditation, meditation when all breath work, where you start to to calm the mind and become more aware of how the mind works, it opens up the space between stressor and then reaction. And it's Mm -hmm. only a 
only a fraction of a second, but in that fraction of a second, you have choice. Rather than going straight default, you know, behaviours, bang, aggression, whatever it might be, flight, fight, um, you can actually choose, do I engage? How do I engage? Um, it's a really powerful thing that can help you to interface with the stress differently. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's changed my relationship with my wife and with everybody in my life and who I work with and who works for us or anything like that. It's just really changed the way that I interact with, with people. Um, so in closing, I would like to give a little message. If there's anybody out there listening to this who recently received a cancer diagnosis or some other really scary medical diagnosis, or they've been battling with a chronic disease for a few years, or somebody they love has a scary medical situation. What, what are the first words that you say to somebody when you, when you start with them, or what kind of message would you like to, to share with somebody in that kind of situation? Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's big when you, when you're met with that, that struggle, um, the biggest thing is to, to sit back and as hard as it is just to, to sit with yourself and call in your, your support network. Uh, that connection is so, so important. Um, that can be sometimes one of the hardest things is when we get into these stressful states of the diagnosis, what it might be. Some of us like to push away, um, but it's it's nice to be able to call that support network in just to, just to sit with what's going on. And then, especially with disease, it's about calling in you know, your team you know, and that's finding the right people to work with. Ideally, the wounded healers, the ones that have been through what you're going through to be able to, to work with them so they can under, they understand you and what you're going through on a deeper level to help you to traverse that journey with whatever it is. So leaning into the support network is... Yeah, and, and you know, breathe like what you said. You're going to breathe. Slow it down. You know, you get stressed, you're just going to start breathing fast. Slow it down. It's an easy thing to do. Nice little self-care, self-soothing. Slow your breath down. Focus on the out-breath. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Eddie. This it's. I'm glad you went through hell so that you're here to share this story and do the work that you're doing and that I've met you through the program that we're in. And I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and getting to know what you do and what you've been through. And it's, it's really a gift how you've turned it around to be able to share it and to do so much good in the world and help people that are in the same situation that you were in. So if people want to find you and look you up, I've got a few links in front of me, which, which would be the best spot for people to go? The easiest ones go straight to the website, um, edianova.com. Uh, on there you'll find out all my different offerings and also if you want to reach out just for a free chat you know there is your, the option of booking a 30-minute slot with me just a phone call or we can do like a zoom or, or skype just to just so i can can meet you we can have a look at what's going on for you the ways that i can be of service totally no obligation whatsoever it's just so we can meet uh, and see if we're a good fit to to potentially work together and that's a nice service that i like to offer without having to book straight in for for a consultation so perfect and, and do you do consults uh virtually anywhere with anyone yeah yeah, yeah. all over australia new zealand um internationally too so yeah we just got to find a, a good time time zone that suits or time <laughs> time that suits especially for overseas can be a little bit tricky being hey we've managed to do yeah, we managed to do it. So uh, <laughs> whatever it takes. <laughs> Great. All right. And I'll have all the links uh, in with the show notes with this. So look below for the for the information on finding Eddie there. So thanks a lot, Eddie. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for what you're doing in the world. Uh, thanks for going through what you went through to be able to do what you're doing now. It's, it's really inspiring. And I'm just uh, 
excited for people to be able to to hear it and to hear from you. And if you want to reach out to Eddie and and have a chat with him, there's the links below to do it. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity for coming on. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.